When I was in college, I majored in political science. And uh, one of the requirements for that major was two years in a foreign language. For some reason, I took German. And uh, in German 1, for those of y'all that know who, who took foreign language in high school and in college, that, that first semester is just the basics, right? Just the basics, the alphabet, basic vocabulary, and writing simple sentences. But by the time I got to German 4, the entire class was in German. And I had oral examinations where I had to carry on 10 to 15 minute conversations in, in German. I also had extra credit assignments where we would go on Thursday evenings to a local restaurant to have dinner with our, our professors. And throughout dinner, the entire conversation was in German. I got to the point where I could understand it a bit and speak it to an extent. That was about 17 years ago. Today I barely remember a, a few words and phrases and definitely could not carry on a conversation in German. Why? Because after finishing the class, I never spoke German again. And you know the saying, right? If you don't use it, what? You lose it. That's right. That's true. A lot of things work in this way. With a lot of skills in life, get this, idleness leads to regression. Idleness leads to regression. That is also true in our spiritual lives. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 5. We are continuing our series this morning through the book of Hebrews. And in our passage we're going to look at this morning, the author of Hebrews is going to address this issue. We have learned over the past few months, as we've been studying through this great book, that the writer of Hebrews is addressing a group of Jewish Christians who are struggling spiritually. They're drifting. They are regressing. And one of the major issues they have is this issue of idleness. So he is writing here to wake them up spiritually. And, and believers, we need to hear this today as well because we can struggle with being idle. We often struggle with what is called spiritual sluggishness. It's what we're going to talk about today. Like I said at the beginning of this series, though we go through times in our spiritual life when our spiritual fire is burning hot and bright, there are other seasons when we feel like a fire pit after a night of camping. Spiritually, we're like a cold, smoldering pile of ash. And oftentimes, we get to that point as a result of being idle in our spiritual lives. Well, what is our response? What is our response to be? Well, for, the, 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 uh, for two Sundays... We're going to be answering that question by looking at Hebrews 5.11 through chapter 6, verse 10. We're going to talk about spiritual sluggishness and how to deal with spiritual sluggishness. Here's the first key to dealing with spiritual sluggishness. Number one, we got to be honest about our spiritual health. Be honest about your spiritual health. 
need to examine yourselves. See where you are spiritually so you know the proper response and be honest about it. Look at verses 11 and 12. And let me warn you here, the writer of Hebrews here is about to get brutally honest with those in his audience about where they are or are not spiritually. And believers, we need to get honest about where we are or where we are not. Look at verses 11 and 12 of Hebrews 5. About this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. He basically says, man, you guys are babies. You need someone to teach you. You need milk, not solid food. Food. Man, those are some harsh words, right? He's being brutally honest here, but they need to hear this, and some of you do as well. Now, in verse 11, where it says, about this, we have much to say. What is the this he's talking about? Well, he's taking us back to what he said in the previous passage. Remember the past few weeks, in the previous two passages, the writer of Hebrews has been talking about the person and work of Christ and about how and why Jesus is our great high priest. And in the previous passage we looked at last week, he talked about why Jesus is our high priest and explained how Jesus met and even exceeded all the qualifications for the high priest. He made the point that Jesus is God's son and our appointed priest forever. He became one of us so that he could sympathize with us and suffer for us. And he also talked about how Jesus was not only our great high priest, but also our perfect sacrifice for sin. He not only offered up the perfect sacrifice for sin, he was the perfect sacrifice for sin. He laid his perfect life down for us. He gave, he gave his life away as we sing in here for you and for me, for us. And here the author breaks from this rich teaching on Jesus being our great high priest and our perfect sacrifice, and he says, there is so much more to say on this, but it's hard to say it to you because of where you are spiritually. He's sharing with them his frustration. He's saying there's so much more to Jesus being our great high priest, and he's going to get to that, and, and perfect sacrifice, so much more. I would love to share with you, but I can't go on any further at the moment because you guys are immature. You guys have become dull of hearing. He says, you guys have quit listening. You have become lazy spiritually. You're coasting. You're idle. You're spiritually sluggish. This is the main point of this passage Look at verse 12. Again, he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. He basically says here, You've been Christians for so long now. You should be in my shoes. You should be doing the teaching. You should be doing with others what I'm doing with you, but you can't. You still, after all this time, need someone spoon-feeding you the basic principles of the Christian faith. You still need milk 
milk, you are not on solid food. That's his message to the Hebrews here. But I need to pause for a minute and ask, does this apply to you? Maybe this is a message you need to hear this morning like the Hebrews. Maybe you've been spoon-fed spiritually for far too long. Maybe you're at the point where you should be doing what I'm doing, but you're not. I'm not talking about teaching in front of large groups of people. Some of you may be doing that, but I'm talking about communicating the rich truths found in God's Word, sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with friends and family. That's the Hebrews' problem. They were not developing as they should spiritually. They were not progressing and growing in godliness. Though they should have been teaching and discipling others, they were still in need of basic discipleship. And again, why were they not growing? Why have they become stagnant in their faith and idle spiritually? The author tells us they have become dull of hearing. Now think about this for a minute. We've already made this point several times in this book that the author of Hebrews is writing to Jewish believers in the church. I mean, he makes this very, very clear. There are people who have heard the truth, they have responded to it, and are hearing it on a weekly, even daily basis. So if they were hearing, why were they not hearing? First off, can this happen? Can you hear and not really hear? Of course. Of course, many of you know that we have music playing in the background on your way into the worship center, but who can name for me other than Tim who was playing the song, the song playing this morning? See, we have this problem where, where we have a bad habit of hearing without listening. Wives, can I get an amen on that? Mothers, it's Mother's Day. Can I get an amen? Yeah, our kids can be this way. Guys, we can have this problem. I know I can have this problem. Leslie's probably going to amen in the second service, hopefully not too loud. This is an issue I have. We, have. we have a problem with selective hearing. Hearing, but not really listening. That's the issue with these Jewish believers. Though they met together with other believers and were hearing God's word taught, they were not listening. They were zoned out spiritually. They had become dull of hearing, and we can be that way. Sometimes I see it on your faces in here on Sunday morning. Now, don't think I'm beating you up because I can be that way as well in my studies and when I'm sitting under other teachers. And because our minds are prone to wander, prone to drift, because we can become this way and become idle in our spiritual lives and dull of hearing, it's very important that we continually examine ourselves and be honest with where we are in our spiritual lives and guard against spiritual sluggishness. There was a reason that this was said to the Jewish Christians in the first century. But believers, there is a reason we have this book today and we are studying this text today because this is a problem that we often have. And if you're here this morning and this is your issue, you become idle spiritually, you're spiritually sluggish, you're not growing in godliness as you should. Don't get discouraged, but do get busy. Take time this very morning to examine yourself. Be honest with where you are, where you're not spiritually. Start doing what you need to do spiritually. 
Start making changes right where you are. If you've been on the sidelines spiritually, you need to get back in the race. You need to get going right where you are. You need to get active and get moving, doing the next thing that God has called you to do. Maybe you're not reading your Bible as you should. Start there. Pick up a study Bible, a good one. We have a few in our bookstore. Read a chapter a day. Maybe you're, you're not spending enough time in prayer each and every day, praising God for how great he is, how great he's been to you. You're not spending time admitting your need of him and confessing your sin to him, praying for others. Start there. Maybe you're not connected with God's people as you should. Get plugged in here to a small group ministry or a men's or women's Bible study. Maybe you're not serving as you should. Start today. Get plugged in here at Fellowship. Help us escort non-believers to Christ and establish believers in truth and equip believers for ministry. That's the mission of our church here. Our mission statement, get this, it's written in such a way to help you examine where you are, where you are not in your faith. I want to encourage you this morning, take time to look at our mission statement in your bulletin that you received on the way in. Examine yourself. Be honest with where you are, where you are not spiritually. Are you trusting in Christ? If not, first step right there forsake your sin turn from that sin give your life up and over to the Lord Jesus if you are ask yourself are you being established in truth are you studying God's word are you growing in your knowledge of who God is and who you are and are you growing in your knowledge of God's great work of redemption through Christ are you getting equipped for ministry here at this church are you are you living god's word by serving god by loving and serving his people are you showing christ to others by the way in which you live are you sharing christ with others by sharing his gospel message and those who are coming to christ are you pouring into them are you making disciples of Christ. If not, I pray you make a commitment this morning to take the next steps that you need to take. Do the next thing you need to do so that you can grow in godliness, so that you, along with your brothers and sisters in Christ, can build up Christ's church and advance God's kingdom. So that's the, the, the first key to dealing with Spiritual sluggishness. You have to be honest about your spiritual health. Point number two, commit to grow in Christ. Commit to grow in Christ. Look at verses 13 through 14 of chapter 5. For everyone who lives on milk, is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, I think this is a text that is commonly misunderstood. I think many of us 
We, we commonly think of the milk as being the basic elementary teachings of the Christian faith and solid food as being the really in-depth Bible study where we dig deep into the hidden truths of the Bible. The milk is the basics of the gospel, you know, man, God, man, sin, Christ, response. And then the solid food is like who the sons of God are in Genesis chapter 6 and whether the Bible teaches 24-hour creation days or the day-age theory, whether or not John writes about a pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib rapture, whether or not you're to take a amillennial, premillennial, post-millennial view of the end times, and if you're lost, don't worry, don't worry about it. But that's what many people think the solid food is. It's digging in to the details of the Bible and leaving that initial stuff behind. That's not what the writer of Hebrews has in mind at all. Share with you in the past, many get so caught up in the minor details of the Bible that they miss the main point of Scripture. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's a huge flaw. Dig in to the details, but don't miss the main point. That's not what the writer means when he refers to milk and solid food, and I'll show you why. In this text, I believe milk is the fundamentals. They're the fundamentals of the faith, the core elements of the gospel, the fact that God is righteous and holy God, and that, that though man was created in right standing with God in his image, man turned away from God, set himself against God in his sin, and also the fact that that Christ, the Son of God, was sent by the Father from heaven to earth to become a man, to live and to die for us, to save us, and that in order for us to be saved, we must forsake our sins, give our lives up and over to Jesus, place our faith and trust in Him alone for salvation. That's that's the milk. To be saved, we must hear those truths, believe those truths, personally embrace those truths and respond by turning from our sin and giving our lives up and over to the Lord Jesus. That's the milk, the initial hearing and responding to the gospel message. Solid food, get this, is when we grow deeper into our knowledge of the gospel. When we internalize the gospel, when the gospel begins to affect every aspect of our lives, it affects the way in which we view the world, the way in which we feel about the goings-on in the world and our place in the world. It affects the way in which we live in this world. Solid food is when you internalize the core teachings of the gospel and it affects the way you view the world, the way you make decisions, the way you live your life. That's what he refers to as solid food. In verse 13, he talks about it as being righteousness. Do you notice that? Underline that. Righteousness. Right living. Look at verse 14. Solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. What's the characteristic of the person feeding on solid food? The mature man. The man feeding on solid food is the man who knows how to distinguish good from evil. The person on solid food is the one who has trained himself on the milk. 
He or she has grown up on it. They have matured. They have internalized it to such an extent that it influences the way in which they think and the way in which they feel and the way in which they live. It affects the way they view the world so that now they're able to go through life as a mature Christ follower and are able to distinguish good from evil, right from wrong, biblically, and live accordingly in a way that honors God. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. He says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Now, when he says here, leave the elementary doctrine, the elementary teaching, is he saying leave and never come back? Is that what he's talking about? Some view the gospel in that way. I know I've shared with people in the past, when I share with them the gospel, they just mention, oh, I've done that. I marked it off my bucket list, you know. I prayed the magical prayer, and I've walked the aisle, and I've passed through the waters of baptism. Now I want to be free to live my life and not have to discuss this anymore. You encountered people like that? I have. That is not what he means when he says, leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. He's not saying after you pray to receive Jesus, after you make him Lord of your life, go on by leaving that behind to do other things or maybe just digging into the, the minor details of the Bible on whether or not the sons of God are angels or the time of year when Jesus was born. Some say, no, it wasn't winter, and they get real mad about it, like it matters. Whether the locust in Revelation are helicopters. Some of y'all are with me on that. I lost some of you. Don't worry about it. Now, I don't think that's what he's saying here. I think he's saying, leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and, and build on it. Grow, grow deeper in your knowledge of it. Go back to the gospel and 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 grow deeper in your knowledge of the gospel. Move on from addition and subtraction to multiplication and division and on to algebra and calculus, right? Grow deeper in your knowledge of it. Grow deeper in your knowledge of God's holiness in man's sinfulness in Christ's person and work and your need to continually trust in Him and follow Him internalize this message in such a way and to such an extent that it affects every aspect of your life. Let it influence the way in which you view this world the way in which you feel about the goings-on in this world and your place in this world and let it influence the way in which you live in this world. The writer of Hebrews goes on. The first part of chapter 6, giving a few examples of what he means when he talks about elementary teaching. So we're going to see this here. Look at the end of verse 1 of Hebrews 6 through verse 3. He says, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So, so here, he's talking to believers. He's talking about the gospel they responded to, to be saved. Again, he's talking to believers, and he is saying that there is not a need 
to lay that foundation again of repentance and faith towards salvation. They have already repented of those dead works that they did before Jesus as devout Jews. And they have turned in faith toward God. I believe this is the initial faith he's talking about. In Christ after repenting of sin. Saying you need to build on those truths. Notice what else he says, verses 2 through 3. And of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permits. Now, this passage is a bit more challenging, and the reason why is because he is describing what worship was like, what their church services were like in the first century with this community of of Jewish Christians and they did things a little bit differently in that day than the Gentile congregations that followed in some of their practices and different from what we do today yet we do have some very important foundational similarities as well repentance of sin and faith in Christ being one for the church to be the church they must teach repentance of sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and we do that they did that in that day the true church throughout history has done that but they also had some different practices as well notice he mentions washings now the word washings is taken from the Greek word baptismos which is baptisms plural okay it's a bit unique often baptism is referred to in the singular And rightfully so, right? Because because Paul says in Ephesians 4, there is one faith, one baptism. Many commentators believe the author of Hebrews could be referring to the baptism of John and later the baptism of Christ. A lot of the Jews in that area around uh, Jerusalem were disciples of John. They were baptized by John and later placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and were were baptized after after believing on the Lord Jesus. Could be talking about that because he's speaking with Jews. He could be talking about the ceremonial cleansings that the Jews would take part in during their worship services in this day that laid the backdrop for and painted a picture of what Christ came to do. We do know that Jews baptized people wanting to identify with them and be numbered with God's people and Christ called for the Jewish Christians to be baptized as well. So so these ceremonial cleansings, believers' baptism, the baptism of John, it's common among that day and that day that that, uh, the Jewish believers had either been baptized by John or had taken part in these ceremonial cleansings. So he could have been talking about one or a number of those things. After baptisms, he mentions a laying on of hands often done after baptism at this time, signifying that the individual was numbered among God's people. That may be what the author meant when he makes mention of a laying on of of hands. This was also something first century Christians would do when they were praying for people to be healed and ordaining church officers. And we do that as well, right? When we're praying for people and when when we're ordaining in in an ordination ceremony oftentimes will lay hands on the one being ordained 
So that could be what he's referring to there. Notice he also talks about the teaching of the future resurrection of believers and the eternal judgment of non-believers. Now we focus on that today, right? And the true churches throughout history have focused on the fact that Christ is also returning. He's returning for his bride, for his church, and when he appears, when we see him as he is, we will be changed, we'll be transformed. Believers will be given new bodies fit for that glorious existence in the presence of our Lord forever with his people. And we also teach about the fact that there is judgment coming as well. The one who came to save is coming to judge. He's coming back and there will be a final judgment. And we see that the early church, the true early church, was teaching these things as well. These are the elementary teachings and practices that the author of Hebrews is telling his readers to build upon. Build upon these truths. And I was thinking a few weeks ago when I was studying through this passage, how this passage applies to us. I think there are many in our church today who have a general knowledge about the basic beliefs and practices of this church, but have not built upon that knowledge. You may realize that we are sinners and that Christ is Savior, but are you broken over the sin in your life? and broken over the broken state of things? Are you, are you hurting for the broken and fallen state of things in this world? And has that brokenness moved you to repentance and faith? And believers, has that brokenness moved you to grow in godliness and take God's gospel message to a world that needs to know Him? You may be somewhat familiar with the ordinances of communion, and believers' baptism, but do you realize that when we take communion together, we're doing more than simply remembering Christ's body by taking a cracker or a piece of bread and his blood by taking a shot of grape juice. And when we baptize new believers, we're doing more than just having a fun time in the water, splashing around and dunking people. There's more to it than that. When we take communion together, we're remembering that Christ became one of us. He lived the perfect life we could never live and laid his perfect life down so that we through faith alone and him alone could be forgiven of sin and made right with God through him. When we take communion together, we are being witnesses to non-believers in our midst that we are trusting in Christ's great person and work. We are to take it as a communion, as a community of believers. Do you realize that when we take communion together on a regular basis, there is also a future element to that as well. Christ told us we're to be taking this until he returns. So we're taking it in faith, looking forward to that day when he returns for his bride. We're to take it as a celebration in anticipation of Christ's return when we will feast with our God and King and with His people and be with Him and them forever. Do you realize that? Do you realize that when people are baptized in this church, they're giving us an outward picture of what is an inward reality. They are showing us that their sins have been washed away. They are, they are showing that they have died to their old way of living, that they have forsaken their sin and have been raised with Christ, in Christ, and for Christ. Do you realize when people are baptized in this church, they are making it public 
that they are now numbered among God's people and that they have joined our kingdom community. Do you realize they're making it public that they are ready to grow in godliness through the ministries of this church and in and through your leadership, through your teaching and your example? Do you realize that? Do you realize when we ask you to give, it's not just to keep the lights on, keep this place heated during the winter months and cool in the summer months. We're asking you to give to Christ's church as an act of worship to God. Do you understand those deep meanings behind the practices that we do at this church? Maybe not at first, but after a while you should. You should be growing in this way, leaving your elementary understanding of the beliefs and practices of the Christian faith in Christ's church behind and growing deeper in your knowledge of those things. You should be moving from having a general knowledge, get this, about the fact that Christ is returning and there's going to be a final judgment to living each day as if it is your last because it just might be. You should live your life knowing that Christ is coming back someday soon and that someday might be today, so you got to be ready. Understanding that the lost need to hear the message of the gospel so that they can forsake their sin and trust in Christ and be saved because Christ is returning this time to judge. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, don't just stay where where you are, sort of hearing these things, but listen to these truths. Don't just live on milk, hearing but not internalizing these things. Saying, internalize these truths. Go back to these truths over and over again. Grow deeper in your knowledge of these truths and allow for them to just wash over you like rain and influence you in every way. The way in which you think, the way in which you feel, and the way in which you live. Commit yourselves to grow in Christ. Now, I know what many of you are thinking. You're thinking, man, that is a tall order. If I'm being honest, how could I ever make that kind of commitment? Well, you can't on your own. And that's good news. Thankfully, God does not leave us to fend for ourselves. He works in and through us. He works in us and through us to will and to do. In verse 3, the author of Hebrews speaks of God's role in our growth and godliness. He says, and this we will do if God permits. He acknowledges the fact that though we are to commit ourselves to grow in godliness, we are in complete need of God's help to work in us so that we can truly listen and learn and internalize and apply and teach these essential doctrines of the faith. Though we are to commit ourselves to grow and mature in Christ, God has to work in us to will and to do. We need God to work in us to grow us. It's a both and. God works in us, we work out what he's working in us. Philippians 2, 12 through 13, Paul's crystal clear on that so to avoid spiritual sluggishness we got to be honest about our spiritual health and commit to grow in christ and we're going to have to stop there this morning 
Next time we're in this passage, we will look at two more keys from this passage on how to avoid spiritual sluggishness. But before we close out this service today, let me say this. Maybe you're here this morning, and upon hearing this message, you're thinking to yourself, you know, I have a desire to grow in Christ. I'd like to do it here. I'd like to do exactly what the author of Hebrews is saying. I'd like to plug in here at Fellowship, but I honestly, I don't know where to begin. Let me first begin by asking you this question. First and foremost, do you know Christ? Personally, Are you trusting in Him? Is He your Lord and Savior? Have you come to the point in your life when you have turned from going a life on your own and have you in turn given your life up and over to Him? Have you made Christ the Lord of your life? Before you can be established in truth and equipped for ministry, before you can grow deeper in your knowledge of who God is and the way in which He is at work in the world, you have to first come to know God through Christ. You have to be made right with Him by being forgiven of your sin and restored to Him through faith alone in Christ alone. Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned from your sin? Have you bowed your knee to King Jesus? Have you made Christ the Lord of your life? If not, that's your starting point right there, and I urge you to do it today. If you would turn from your life of sin, trust in Christ alone for salvation, you can be made right with God right now today and begin your journey toward maturity, your journey toward Christ-likeness right now today. If you've never made that decision, I pray you would today. Let's pray.